Turn your Bible to 2 Kings uh, chapter 3. 2 Kings 3. Um, as, you're, as you're turning, uh, let me point your attention toward a couple things. Something brand new starts at Kingwood Church today that I'm very, very excited about uh, because it's our church's vision. You've heard me say many, many times, our church will never have a vision that doesn't start with your relationship with God. Just what Brandon said a minute ago, that's the most important thing is that we have a personal relationship with God. So we have uh, just uh, developed a new tool that will help you to do that. I don't know if you know this or not, but around the country, uh, congregational worship is kind of disappearing. And one of the reasons is, is because oftentimes when you come into a worship service, uh, maybe there are so many new songs that are sang or you don't know the words or don't know the music or whatever. But here's what we're going to do. We're starting a new series in September on hope. So if you'll go to our church's website and you go right here to the, on the home screen, go to the hope series button. When you open it up, it'll, it'll open in a minute. It's, it's lagging because it's on a big screen. All right, scroll down. When you open it up right here is September song playlist. So here's what you can do. We, we have prayed and said, Lord, help us to know what are the worship songs that will help inspire our hearts to what you're saying to us in this hope series. So what we're doing is we've put uh, 10 songs for the month of September. When you come to worship in the month of September in Kingwood, we're going to sing 10 songs. We're going to sing those 10 songs all month. And what you can do is you can get on your iPhone, you can get on your device, you can get on your internet, you can get on the um, laptop, whatever you've got, iPad, whatever you use, you can get on and stream live. You can hear it behind me. You can stream live the 10 songs we're going to be singing the entire month. So if you want to watch them in video, you can watch them. If you want to just let them play while you're riding the car or you're walking, you have your headphones on or you're doing your devotions, you can let those songs sink deep into your spirit. And then when we come together in worship on Sunday, we are celebrating together the work of God. And so I just want to encourage you. I'm so pumped about it. It's a little small kind of practical thing, but I'm super pumped about it because it will connect us spiritually day in and day out. And then when we come together, we come together and rise with the anthem God's put in our heart. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and use that. It's up. It's ready now. You can use it today. However you do your devotions, maybe when you're doing the dishes, whatever you're doing, you can put that music on and let those songs resonate in your heart. Uh, here's the second thing. We are in uh, next Sunday. We're going to have one service, 1030. We're going to have a picnic. Our ushers will be coming around in just a minute. They're going to be handing out invitation cards to you through, uh, throughout, the, in, throughout the next few minutes. And I just want to remind you, take that invitation card, invite someone to come to our picnic next Sunday. Next Sunday at 1030, one service, no life groups picnic following. It'll be a big, huge day of outreach. We'll talk a little bit about it in the message. Be a great big day of outreach. So I want to encourage you, invite somebody, bring somebody with you, and let's believe that life change is going to happen. Did you notice in Brandon's story that somebody invited him? Did you notice that? He was stuck. He was in a one-bedroom apartment. He was a heroin addict. His life was hopeless, but somebody was used by God to reach out to him, and now look what he's doing. I guarantee you there are people like Brandon all over our county who just need an invitation. And so I want to ask you next Sunday, bring somebody with you. All right, 2 Kings chapter 3, 
Uh, I want to share a message with you this morning. It's really more in story form. Yeah, ushers, whenever you get the cards, just go ahead and, and pass them out. We'll, we'll keep moving. 2 Kings chapter 3, I want to share this message with you. I'm just going to call Dig a Ditch. I, I want to give you some basic uh, but really godly advice. Be very careful who you allow in your life. Don't, if you're, if you're single, don't date, don't marry, don't make lasting friendships with, don't make a business deal, don't make a business partnership with people who don't have the same values that you have, people who don't serve God, who, people who don't follow God, people who aren't going the same way that you're going. In Amos 3, 3, the Bible says, uh, how shall two walk together if they're not agreed? It nearly got, in 2 Kings, we're going to see a story about a good king. It nearly got a good king killed because he began to walk in his life with somebody he shouldn't have. He rushed off into the desert to fight with a backslidden king and a bad king without praying, without seeking God's wisdom. He just impulsively jumps on it. So before we read 2 Kings, I want to get the story right in our mind. It's basically a tale of three kings. All right, there's the king Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah. There's the king of Edom. And then there's Joram, the king of Israel. All right, let me explain to you who they are so you'll know when we read who you're reading about. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He was a godly king. He served God. He loved God. The king of Edom was a bad king. And then there's this third king who's the king of Israel who was, um, how should I say it? He was a hot mess. He was a backslidden, broke-down, hot mess. We're going to call him, let's just do it like this. We're going to call them the good, the bad, and the ugly. Everybody with me this morning? There's the good king, there's the bad king, and there's the ugly king. Everybody say that with me. The good king, the bad king. Uh Uh-uh, let's start over. You're not with me. The good king, the bad king, and the ugly king. How many you know, stay away from ugly. 2 Kings 3, 9 through 20, let's read it together. Let's read about this. So the king of Israel, who's that? That's ugly. Say that with me. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah. That's good. And the king of Edom, he's bad. Come on, don't give up. Bad. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Who's he? Ugly. It's ugly king. Come on. Ugly king. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat, who's the good king. All right, Jeremy's had everybody. Come on. Good. Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of... Yeah, he was just talking about him. You don't have to reference him. Shaphat is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, who's Jehoshaphat? Good king. All right, I'll keep telling you so you'll know. The word of the Lord is with him, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom, bad. Israel's ugly. Jehoshaphat's good. Edom's bad. You got it? No, the king of Israel, ugly, ugly, because it was the Lord who called us three kings to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, y'all can just do this like this, and king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you, but now bring me a harpist. That's what I always do when I get in trouble is I want a harpist. 
While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha, and he said, this is what the Lord says. Now listen very carefully. All the good, bad, and ugly kings are out at this point, so just listen. I will fill this valley with pools of water, for this is what the Lord says. You will neither see wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. So let's get the picture straight. Tell the three kings, there's a good, the bad, and the ugly. This combination of three nations led by these three kings, the good king who loved God, the bad king who was a complete uh, sinner. He had his back toward God. Then the guy in the middle who we call ugly because he was just backslidden. They're in the wilderness. The wilderness starts to take its toll on them. They're wading through a desert filled with barrenness. Seven days into the journey, they run out of water. The soldiers and the animals are dying of thirst. When the ugly king sees this happening, he begins to freak out. You know why? Because that's what ugly does. When you got one foot in the kingdom and one foot out of the kingdom, you're just a hot mess. And you start to freak out and you get confused. And he says, God's called us out here in the desert to, for us to die. He's trying to kill us. But the, and the other king tries to say, no, no, no. Let's just wait. Let's see what's going to happen. Because no, no, no. He refu- you ever meet anybody like that? He refuses to be comforted. No, 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 no. God's going to kill us. I knew God was against us. I knew God didn't love me. I knew this was going to happen. He called us out here to die no matter what anybody says. He just keeps repeating the same thing over and over and over. You can read the story in 2 Kings like a broken record. And, and, And that just brings one good point, I think. You cannot surround yourself with chronically negative people. You can't surround yourself with chronically negative people and live a positive life. You can't, you can't overcome if all you hear is the bad and this is going to happen. And you can't surround yourself. You can't walk around all the time saying, I'm sick and I'm failing and I'm stupid and our poor, we're poor and our pets are dying and the tree limbs are falling off in the yard and the grass is dying. Everything's going bad. The world, you can't feed your mind that and live the kind of life God wants you to live. There has to be some moment in your life where you see something positive. You can't align yourself with that kind of person. That's what this good king has done. He's aligned himself with this ugly king. And after seeing only the negative, then the ugly king starts to blame God, right? Isn't that how it always works? So far, God wasn't even in the story. I find it interesting how often we do this in our life. We make short-sighted, impulsive decisions uh, 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 beyond our own imagination, without God's counsel, without prayer, without wisdom, without any counsel, ignoring what God's Word says about it, we sometimes just make decisions like a person sitting at the McDonald's drive through trying to figure out what kind of mood we're in to figure out what number we're going to pick. 24, no, I don't really want that. 25, no. 84, I don't know how many meals they got now. 71, 4, 2, 3, no, I don't really want that. We make decisions like that based sometimes even on our mood. And then, and then something goes wrong and we say, God's trying to kill me. When God wasn't even invited. The ugly king's filled with doubt and fear and he's blaming God. And that moment the good king remembers who he is and he remembers who God is. And he says to himself, here I am all stuck out in the middle of this desert with this ugly king. 
And I need to hear from God. Is there anyone here that hears from God? If you find yourself stuck to somebody ugly, can I just tell you, the best thing you can do is turn to God. Say, all right, I messed up. It was my fault. I shouldn't ought to be out here in the desert stuck with this guy. I shouldn't be chained up. I shouldn't be linked up. I shouldn't have invited this into my life, but I did. Someone in the good king's army says, well, Elisha lives not too far from here. He said, well, go get him. Let's see what he says. And even as they're entering, now, here's the deal. Elisha shows up. He's the prophet of God. There's the good king, the bad king, and the ugly king. Which one do you think talks first? While Elijah's still riding up down the road, hadn't even got off the animal yet, here's the, here's the ugly king going, oh, no, no, God's going to kill us. God's going to kill us. God's going to kill us. We don't even need the prophet to be here. God's going to kill us. Are you shocked he's the first one that spoke? Boy, I think that's a great lesson for us today. The loudest report and the first report is not always true. The loudest report and the first report isn't always God's word. It's not always, sometimes you have to wait, you have to look deeper, you have to receive, you have to discern, you have to pray, you have to seek, you have to hear. And even as he's, even as he's introducing himself, the ugly king just jumps in. And, the, and listen to what Elijah says. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, God brought us out here to kill us so the, so the Moabites can kill us. And he just keeps it going. Elijah looks at him and says, I wouldn't even speak to you or look at you if it weren't for this good king. Basically, I'm here on his account, not yours. Elijah says to them, fill this valley up with ditches because God's going to send water. You'll never see it rain. You'll not feel the wind. You'll not hear the thunder. It's not going to storm. It's not going to lightning. The valley is just going to fill up with water. Dig ditches all over this valley. Remember, they're in the desert. They've ran out of water. They're dehydrated. They're, they're, they, they have nothing to drink for them and their animals. They're going to die. Three combined armies are stuck in the desert with nothing. They're going to die if something doesn't happen. The prophet says, dig ditches. God will fill them up. Now, what the prophet's asking them to do is to take a huge step of faith. Like the last thing, look, I've watched I Shouldn't Be Alive, right? You've seen the movies, survival movies? I've watched them. The last thing you need to do when you're out and you're dehydrating is what? Exert energy. I know what you need to do. You're dehydrated, great. Get a shovel, go out into 150 degrees, and dig until you pass out. That'll fix it. That doesn't sound like anything that would fix it, does it? I mean, look, look out at your yard. Look, look, look out at the, uh, how dry everything is in our county right now. That doesn't sound like anything that's going to fix anything. And look, there will be those times, and here's the whole message today. There will be those times that a miracle will land on you like a petrified log. You don't know where it came from. You don't know why it's there. It just arrived. There will be other times in your life where God will say, if you want me to land the plane, you get out there and build a runway. There will be times God will say, I want you to participate. I want you to express your faith, and the way we express our faith sometimes is through action. So there are those times God says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but you do what I want you to do. You've got to prepare the way for the miracle to happen. If you want God to send water, dig a ditch. It's an act of faith. And sometimes God requires faith in that form. Why did he tell the man who had leprosy, go bathe in the river? Why did he tell the people who were marching around Jericho, march around seven times? Why didn't he just knock the walls down? 
Why did he tell Noah build a boat? Why didn't he just levitate them over the water on the earth the whole time? Just kind of dangle them from a cloud and feed them out of the moisture of the cloud. Why didn't he just put manna in the cloud and they could just eat and drink and levitate over the earth till the water receded? Why did he do that? It took faith to build a boat when it had never rained. Why did God require that? I remember when um, I was first called to ministry and uh, my principal said to me in high school, I went to a Christian school, and uh, I had a dramatic salvation experience. And I remember my principal said to me, you know if you're called to ministry, inside that call is a call to prepare for ministry. And I said, no, I didn't know that. No, I, I didn't know that. I thought you just started. I mean, I, I'm called, you know, problem solved. No direction? Now I got direction. <laughs> I'll just go out there and start preaching and teaching and talking and serving and do whatever. I didn't know that there was supposed to be any time of preparation. So as I got near the end of high school, I filled out enough applications for financial aid and FAFSA and blah, 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 blah. I filled this stuff out till pens ran out of ink in our house. We had no pens left in our property. We'd filled it out and filled it out and filled it out and filled it out. And uh, we couldn't get anything to work. We, I couldn't get the funds to go. I was from a lower uh, middle-class family. My family didn't have the money. I didn't have the money. And we were trying to make all this work. And I was the first person in my entire family's history on either side that ever attended college. So I, I, we didn't have any means to go. And so um, I stayed home. I said, well, forget it. I'll, I'll stay home and I'll work three jobs and I'll make as much money as I can, and maybe I'll get enough momentum, enough saved up, I can go. So I did that. And I stayed, and all my friends went and did whatever this. Some went to college, some went off to different places. Their life moved on, and mine stalled out for a whole year. And I stayed home, I lived at my parents' house, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I saved, and I saved, and I saved, and I saved, and I got ready, and I got ready. I did what I knew how to do. I prepared, and I prepared, and I prepared, and we filled all the stuff out again. And the government's answer back to us after filling everything else out was, you don't qualify for student aid. because Your parents qualify. They're poor enough, but you made too much money. I worked at Sears in the men's department selling shirts. Are you kidding me? I made too much money? Really? And they said, but good news, you can reapply your senior year, and if your income from that time, I thought, well, senior year, I mean, I'll be through or dead or something. I don't, Jesus will come back by then. My senior year? Really? So I went off to, but here's what happened. I can remember my first semester of college, I'd saved up enough money, I think, to get through the first semester, and that's all I had. And I can remember being so frustrated, and I, I didn't know what it was, but as I discerned it through, I was mad. I was just angry. And the reason I was mad is because I knew people who were better off than our family was, and they got all kind of help, and we couldn't get anything. And I can remember the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart one day and saying, why do you care if I use the federal government to meet your needs, what, do you, what does it matter to you? Why do you care if I meet your needs another way? Why is it so important to you? And I can remember just saying, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I guess it's not fair. And God just said, why, why does fair matter? I am Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. Whatever channel I choose to use, what does it matter to you? And I can remember saying, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I guess it doesn't. I'm sorry. And that year, 
Now, look, you got to understand, my family's not wealthy. The, the house down the street from my mom where I grew up, she moved there when I was a year old, still lives in it. The house down the street from her just sold for $8,000. This is like Detroit. I mean, in Memphis, that's where they live. It's a very, that's where I was raised. They don't have a lot of money. But that year, they made more money than they've ever made in their life. And they were able to save enough to pay about half my college. God made a way when you do what you can do, God will do what he wants to do. He will do what only he's going to do when you step out in faith and do what God's called you to do. We see this in Scripture all the time. David, God says, I'm going to make you king, but you know what I want you to do first? I want you to get ready. I want you to tend the sheep. I want you to run and hide in caves. I want you to dodge from spears that are going to be thrown at you by Saul who's trying to kill you for about 20 years. After that, you'll be king, though. Do what God's given you to do. Joseph, Joseph had a dream in front of his brothers. And that dream was going to come to pass, but basically God says to him, you're going to be misunderstood, you're going to be falsely accused, and you're going to learn good organizational and relational skills in prison. And when you get done with that, you do what you can do and God will do what he's going to do. John was sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way. Imagine, here these three kings are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They're out in the middle of the desert. There's no lightning, there's no thunder, there's no clouds, there's no rain, there's no smell of rain, and, and they tell the soldier, put your sword down and go get a shovel. We've got to dig ditches because in the morning, they'll have water. Do, do you know one of the reasons that we're having a picnic next Sunday? This is the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama. 14% of the people in this county are in a worship service this morning. The reason that we're having a picnic next week, the reason that we keep reaching out, the reason we keep investing with ministries like the Foundry, because we're digging. We're digging a ditch. We can't change anybody's life. This church can't change anybody's life. I can't change anybody's life. You can't change anybody's life. But if I do what I can do, God will do what he can do. It took an invitation to change Brandon's life. You and I can invite, but we can't transform. You and I can connect, but we can't transform. We can serve, but we can't transform. We can speak, we can share, we can reach out, we can bless, we can encourage, we can love, but we can't change. Only God can change. The reason that we keep investing and investing and investing and digging and digging and digging, you do what you can do and God will do what only God can do. This isn't just a message for the moment. This is a message for life. I personally believe that everybody in this room is in a season of preparation for something. I believe life is not about arrival. It is about preparation. I don't know what you're being prepared for, but I believe you're being prepared for something. And either you're preparing well or you're not. This isn't just a 19-year-old message. It isn't a 25-year-old message. It's not a college message. It's not a 40-year-old message. Every stage of life has a future. You, you, somebody here says, well, I'm 94. What am I preparing for? Heaven! <laughs> Get ready! It's going to be great. You are being transformed by God into something that you will need for the next season. And either you're aware of that or you're not. And if you're aware of that, I'll tell you what, if you're aware of that, I just kind of brought a shovel this morning. If you're aware of that, what I would say to you, this might be the greatest tool of faith you'll ever have in your life. Then get your shovel and dig. Why? Because rain's coming. Water's coming. God will send the rain if we'll dig the ditch.
I have a pastor friend who told me the greatest story about when he was a, um, in Mexico with uh, a missionary friend. And they were going to go in a prison, and they were going to preach in the prison. They had three Americans uh, with them. They had an interpreter lined up. And that night, the missionary told my pastor friend, he said, I, I just feel like the Lord's convicted me and spoken to my heart. We don't need to go to the prison tomorrow. The pastor said, well, we have to go. We have these three Americans with us. We have an interpreter with us. We have to go into the prison. We're, the prison's ready for us. We have permission to go in. He said, I'm telling you, I believe that God doesn't want us to go there. Tomorrow, God wants us to go out in the desert and find a village named Canitas. He said, where's that at? He said, I don't know, but God told me. He said, well, I, we shouldn't do that. He said, well, I don't, you don't have to go. I'm going. So at 4 o'clock in the morning, the next morning, uh, they, they rise before sunlight. They head south across the mountains. The sun came up. It's blazing hot. They got lost. They stopped at every station in Mexico that they passed, seeing if anyone had ever heard of this village. Finally, at 4 in the afternoon, they've been driving for 12 hours. My pastor friend looked over to the missionary buddy. He said, look, I love you. You missed it. Let's go home. <laughs> it's fine. I'm not mad. We've been locked in this van with these three Americans, an interpreter, and me and you for 12 hours in the blazing sun in Mexico. It's hot. Let's go home. While they were talking, they saw three people at the end of the road. So the missionary said, I tell you what, we'll go ask those three guys where this village is. If they don't know where it is, we'll go home. So they, so they, so they pull up. My pastor friend rolls the window down, and he said, hey, do you guys know where Canitas is? The three men got up, brushed themselves off, got their little stuff that was with them, got in the van and sat down. They turned around, and, and there the three Mexicans were in the back of the van, staring. And the Mexicans said, Canitas is about 11 miles down this road. They said, what are you doing out here? They said, we've been waiting since 4 o'clock this morning. There are only three Christians in our village and the man talking pointed to another man in the van who didn't speak English, and he said, that man last night had a vision, and he said there were going to come some people from a foreign country who were going to go to our village and help us to build a church. We walked 11 miles out here in the dark this morning. We've been waiting 12 hours. What took you so long? So they drove down this little abandoned little road in the hot, barren little village in the middle of nowhere. They got out of the van, and the, and the three Mexican guys said, Hey, come and see, come and see where the church is going to go. And they had gone out that morning by, by lantern light, and they had taken a shovel, and they had made little lines in the sand and made a little uh, outline of where the church would go, and they had jammed the shovel down in the middle of that outline where they thought the steeple would be. And they walked 11 miles in the Mexican sun to wait for strangers who God said would come and help them build a church. That is digging a ditch for the God who's going to send water. I don't know why God requires those things in our life sometimes, but he does. Now, I asked the worship team to come this morning. I didn't even tell you the end of the story which may actually be the best part. These, these kings weren't asking God for victory. They're done with that. What they wanted was water. 
And their plan was to get the water, to fill their stomach up, to drink, to rehydrate the animals, tuck their tail between their legs, ask God to forgive them for ever being stupid enough to come out there in the desert anyway, and to go back home and forget the whole thing that ever happened. Instead, instead, something completely different happens. Those men underneath the obedience of God's direction went out into that valley and they dug ditches all over it. And rain came who knows how far away. And that water ran across the desert and it trickled down into that valley and it filled up those ditches. And that particular valley happens to have a red base and tone to the rocks. So when the, when the Moabites came the next morning, the army that was going to conquer the three armies, when they came and camped on the hillside and waited for the sun to come up, when they looked down across the valley and they could see those three armies lying down asleep and they saw those puddles of water in the glare of the sun, that red rock through that clean water looked like blood. And they said, these We knew this alliance would never work. These three armies have turned on each other. They've killed each other, and and now they're dead. All we've got to do is walk down and take their stuff. So with the thrill of victory in their mind, they take their armor off, they put their swords down, they put their weapons down, they walk down into the valley, and they walk down unarmed, unshielded, to go and steal from this army. But God had already spoken, and the people had already obeyed. And that morning, those three armies woke up with the enemy standing unarmed all around them. They just kind of woke up and went, well, kill them. (laughs) I mean, I I don't know. I don't know how this happened. I guess we're going to kill them, cut their heads off. And so those three armies came into complete victory. In the blink of an eye, the Moabites who had victory in their hands were crushed. Sometimes it doesn't look like much in your life to turn over a little dirt. Sometimes it doesn't look like much to kneel and to pray. Sometimes it doesn't look like much just to take another step. Sometimes it doesn't look like much just to show up to the worship service, just to raise your hand, just to respond, just to do what God asks you to do. Sometimes it doesn't look like much, but sometimes it's all God wants. Just an act of faith invited by the Holy Spirit and then... He does what only He can do. Would you stand with me this morning? Today, I want to invite you to stretch your faith. I want to ask you if God tells you to dig a ditch, dig 10. And if He tells you to get ready for a breakthrough. Look, you may be here this morning. You may be saying, my circumstances haven't changed in who knows how long. How do you know? How do you know they're not about to change? Show me the proof. How do you know that? How do you know? I bet you Brandon, when he sat in that apartment night in and night out, drugged up on heroin, he had no idea the day before somebody came and knocked on his door, somebody was coming. But somebody came, and in a moment, did he have stuff to work out? Yes. Did it take time? Yes. But in a moment, in a moment, change began to happen. And I'm going to ask our prayer team to come this morning, and I I want to ask you as you're sitting there today, Three things. Every eye closed. Find a place, if you will, that you can just get still for a moment. Three things I want to pray about this morning. One is, maybe God has already shared with you the thing you need to do, and you just hadn't done it. Hey, today's the day to start. The good king went off with ugly king. But it's never too late to turn. It's 
never too late to say, God, I know this is what you wanted, so I'm going to do it. Maybe you're here today and that's you. I want to ask you to take a step of faith this morning and believe God to do what He can do when you take a step toward Him. Maybe you're here today and you say, I have no idea. If there's something I'm supposed to be doing, I have no idea what it is. Then I want to pray with you. And I'm gonna, as we pray this morning, if the Holy Spirit puts something in your mind, I want you to take a step of faith today and say, Lord, by your grace, I will do what you want to do. This isn't a game. It's not a contract. It's not any of those things. Sometimes God stretches our faith by giving us something to act on with it. That's all. The action in itself isn't, it's not magic. It's about a relationship. And if God gives you something, something, I want you to step out and say, God, Give me the grace to do what you're calling me to do. Maybe you're here today and you say, I need a miracle. I need a breakthrough. And I just want to believe God today. I want to just, whatever it is, I just want to tell God I believe Him. I want to stake my faith in God. I want to do everything I'm supposed to do. And God will do what He's going to do. Lord, this morning I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for the love of God. I thank You, Lord, that we're not caught in some mechanical, roly-poly system where, where we've got to perform. That's not what this is about. But we're in a love relationship. Somehow you invite us into moments of decision. You invite us into them. And when we act on them, we meet you in a place of change. We meet you in a place of victory. We meet you in a place of deliverance. We meet you in a place of power. This morning, Lord, we turn this moment to you and say, God, now do what only you can do. If you need a victory, if you need a miracle, if you need a breakthrough, if you need an encounter with God, if if you have a step you need to take, the worship team's going to begin to sing, and I want you to come now and let the prayer team minister to you. Right now, right now, I want you to step out from where you are and say, God, I believe you today. I believe you for my circumstances. I believe you for my health. I believe you in my life. I believe you for my family. God, I believe you. I'm going to take a step today, and I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe you, Lord. I'm going to follow you this morning. As the worship team begins to sing, I want you just to take a step and say, Lord, today, by God's grace, I believe you. I believe you, Lord. I believe you, Lord.